Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, and welcome to Grief is My Superpower. I'm Mark Lemon, award-winning children's author, bereavement ambassador, and your host for this podcast. Each week, I'll be interviewing incredible people that get open and honest about their own experience with grief. When I was 12 years old, my dad was murdered, and my life changed forever. I try to explore with my guests if it's possible to live a happy and fulfilled life after the death of a loved one. You can find me as Mark Lemon Official on Instagram and at the Lemon Drop Books website. To launch this new series, I'm speaking with broadcaster, presenter and writer Yinka Bikini. Yinka speaks to me about the death of her mum and how it shaped her outlook on life. You can find Yinka on Instagram and Twitter as Yinka Bikini. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment wherever you're listening to this podcast. By doing this, it will help us to reach more people in need of support at a tough time. This podcast is in support of children's bereavement charity, Winston's Wish. Okay, so as mentioned in my introduction, today's guest is someone very special someone that I recently discovered through their fantastic TED talk on YouTube and then I immediately started following them on on Instagram and uh, it's Yinka Bukini. How are you? I'm so good thank you. I can't believe that you discovered me through a TED talk I didn't think anyone was going to (laughs) watch. These things work in wonderful ways don't they? (laughs) Oh it's crazy but I'm, I'm appreciative anyway. Yeah, no, it was, it was, um, you know how sometimes these TED Talks can roll into another one and then your one came up and then, you know, I just sort of thought, oh, okay, let's, let's see where you are on social media. And then obviously I started um, discovering about the documentary, which we'll obviously talk about more and, yeah. um, you know, and all the work that you've been doing lately. Um, but first for the listeners, would you be able to just introduce yourself and who you are and all that stuff, please? Sure. Um, yeah, so like Mark said, I am Yinka Bikini. I am a presenter, broadcaster, I should probably call myself a TV and radio. I do the breakfast show at Capital Extra. I do a couple of telly shows as well. And I also run a magazine. So I'm a writer too. Uh, loads of slashes in the old bio. Okay. And obviously why we're here today we're to talk about grief. Um, yes. I was just wondering whether you could share with the listeners about your own experience with grief, please. I think that, you know, my experience of, of, of grief is 
probably the traditional one in terms of you know you get older you you start to lose um older family members um I think my my relationship with grief definitely started early as is the subject of the documentary that I did on on channel four when my friend was killed when I was 11 but since then it's it's not been like a downward slope or anything like that but it's my life has definitely been peppered with loss with grief I lost my mum um almost 12 years ago now so um I think I've definitely had my my fair share of that side of emotion yeah like you say you kind of the older you get the more you seem to be touched by it which I'm sure you know a lot of the listeners are probably the same you know but you know I guess today um it'd be great to explore the documentary and the the sort of the power of because I was watching an interview that you did the other day um, for the sort of the PR around it and and you said a couple of really powerful things in terms of you know you got to an age where you know you, you wanted to explore um, obviously what happened the tragic circumstances of what happened but also you know where your grief was at um, at the age that you were when you started the documentary I was just wondering how you found the process of creating it it was really tough I think tougher than I could ever imagine it was going to be I went into making the film just thinking oh wow I've got a show on channel four and not thinking not expecting and in a quite naive way actually not really taking into account that it's my life it's it's my experiences and it's something very personal that I was choosing to share with the with the world so to speak um I think it's very safe to say that for the last couple of decades I didn't deal with what we had gone through with the events that happened and and surrounded the death of Damalola Taylor who was my friend um and only when we sort of picked up a camera only when we decided on who we were going to interview on on how we were going to get the stories out of those people did I realize that it was actually going to be a huge journey and battle and a confrontation with myself because it's something that that I'd shelved for for 20 years which is is very difficult to unpack and very different difficult to come to terms with especially when you think you're over something I I, I didn't realize that delayed grief and delayed kind of feelings of loss were a thing in my reality anyway until deciding to sort of go through this baptism of fire into the documentary world another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was, it was quite a powerful comment that you made in terms of, you know, when you were 11, was it 11 when he 11, died? 11, yeah, 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 11. And and that you didn't really have any counselling or support after None, you felt no. like you, you didn't. Um, which obviously now there's, you know, amazing charities out there to support children now, which is which is great. But, you know, I, I was the same, sort of 12 years old, having to, like you say, unpack trauma and, and all this stuff. And there wasn't really a great deal of support. Um, and so, yeah, years further on, you sort of, 
you know, a few a few years ago, I I decided to write an article for the Guardian. And I had to like you with this documentary in a way. It's kind of you had to unpack all these feelings and 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 taking yourself back to that that moment. Um, I'm just wondering whether you could take us back to the feelings you had as a child or as the 11 year old, um, and and kind of how you navigated the feeling of grief and loss um, at that age. You know, were you essentially just left to to get on with it? Not not from my parents. I mean, my mum was super protective, as protective as she could be of, of us. But ultimately, she didn't have any experience in that kind of world either. And my mum came to London from a village in Ireland. Like, she didn't have the, the tools to kind of deal with this type of trauma. And I think for, for me, looking back and trying to put myself, which I've you know been doing for about a year since um, agreeing to make the film, put myself back into into that moment into that mind frame uh, especially because we've got archive footage of interviews that I did when I was that young so it's a little bit easier for me to remember what it was like seeing videos of me speaking I just remember feeling extremely shocked and extremely confused and scared because I didn't know what it was that had happened and I don't mean that I grew up in an idyllic place you know where there are sunshine and rainbows and no dark corners but and we've all seen Heartbeat and, you know, Coronation Street. We know what murder is. But as a kid, that happening to me, happening around me to somebody that I knew, and then no one kind of sort of thinking, having the inclination or you know, the, the reflex to sit down and explain, to speak it through. With my parents, I think it was very much a, we need to move them out of the situation physically and maybe not knowing how to confront those issues, how to have those conversations. So when I look back and I think of the way that I was treated, my brothers were treated, all the kids who were younger, it was very much a physically we're going to try and move, but maybe emotionally we weren't necessarily looked after in the way that I would hope that, you know, if I have kids and, 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 something terrible happens I I would be inclined to have those chats and those talks and sort of go through those processes to to help them understand no I'm completely with you it's you know parents don't know do they unless they've experienced it themselves I guess you know how to how to protect protect their child Mm -hmm. and I said I guess essentially you just try and do it the practical way don't you like you said yeah physically especially because we grew yeah, we were in such a, a dangerous area and especially because this had happened to a 10-year-old, you know, in, in, in the evening coming home from computer club or after school club. It's the thing of, I think my mum's inclination, her, her, her thing on her mind was I need to make sure my kids are physically safe and maybe the, the safeguarding in terms of our emotions and our feelings wasn't on top of their list of priorities, which is completely understandable, especially for it being, you know, the year 2000. Yeah, no, I, you know, I mean, thankfully, a lot of things have changed, haven't they? You know, yeah, to where we are now. But yeah, I mean, the documentary I watched it the other day, and it's so powerful. Yeah, really powerful because it was, it wasn't just about grief; it was about a society thing. You know, it was about you know the area that you lived in and how the the press kind of gave it a different spin and yeah. and kind of really um, knocked down the area in a sense of you know how it was perceived across the UK and. You know, a lot of this kind of, in some respects, sadly, is tapping into young people today in a way, isn't it? It's kind of how, um, you know, just because you live in a certain area, you're kind of treated in a certain way. Definitely. And, yeah. And so, yeah, I thought thought it was amazing. Um, 
I didn't even mean for that to be a thing. I didn't mean like, it's so weird. I think that's where the kind of chance serendipity comes into it, especially with it being 2020 in the years, year of Black Lives Matter being, you know, a resurgence in the movement and being so visible and, and even, you know, with the, even the, the free school meals thing with, with Marcus Rashford, it all kind of just has fit for me narrating this story that unfortunately still does tell a tale of, of modern Britain. Yeah. It's it has sort of fallen at the right time, hasn't it? It's so it, weird. I want to kind of take you back to to your mum, if possible. You know, obviously, like you say, it was nearly twelve years ago that she died, and and how you've kind of found yourself navigating your grief after your mum died. Um, have you have you sought counselling, or have you just felt like I'm I'm okay? I've got my friends. I can talk to them if I need. You know. Well, I'm one of seven, so I've got six siblings and I have all of these ready-made best friends and we really are ridiculously close. It's quite cringe, actually. Um, but I, I think that, you know, I, 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 I meet people, I've got friends, I've, I've got a huge network of people that I can rely on, but no family is, is as close from what I've seen as, as my siblings and I are. You know, my brother's my best friend, my sister's my best friend, and we really do enjoy each other's company. And I think you know, part part of that is because we did lose our mum so young. And it's like, a lot of the time, what I find is that when people lose the, the glue, so to speak, of their friendship group or their family group, then that could mean that they're shattered and, and they kind of sort of go off into, into, separate, into separate worlds. Whereas with our family, it kind of bound us together a little bit tighter. Um, my mum died when I was 19 and um, she was really ill. She had cancer. And for the last three years of her life, I looked after her. I became her carer. I was a young carer. So ultimately, when she did pass away, I was very businesslike in terms of making sure that what she wanted to happen at her funeral happened. We had talked it through so much in terms of preparing me and kind of speaking, especially to my younger brother, who was only 16 when she passed away, about how we can kind of help him through it because she knew that, you know, her life was, was, wasn't going to be extremely long. Um, so I was very businesslike. It took such a long time for me to really sort of fathom not having a mum. And only now that I am 31 and I haven't had a mum for the entirety of my adulthood, do I kind of realise what it means to not have one? Because I've just got on with it. And I think maybe in, in, the, in the decade that is 2020 and with everything kind of feeling extremely heavy and people coming together even more, it, it's made me realise what, what a gap it is that, that she left, which for me is quite weird because it's, it's been so long. So I, I was surprised that these feelings started to kind of resurface when I didn't have my mum on, on my 21st birthday, I didn't have her on my 30th birthday. But this year I'm like, oh, that this is the deficit that's kind of been been left by this person not being there. If there's ever a year where you're going to sit down and probably think about those things, it's definitely this one, isn't it? And yeah, I'm, I'm completely the same. And I think sometimes it can take you to get to that point where you you know you, you actually sit down and reflect and, and you realise how much you miss them. And um, I'm just wondering... You know, before your mum died because of the cancer, did you did you find yourself grieving at all before she died, and then after? You know, I know some people say that with cancer that they can, you know, that can happen. Yeah, I I feel like I definitely grieved with her for for the things that she wasn't going to be able to do. Um, but 
I, afterwards, I, like, and I don't mean this in 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 a relief of like the burden, but it was a relief when when she passed away because ultimately I was just so grateful that she wasn't in pain, and I was just so grateful that she got to kind of go on her own terms we wrapped everything up so to speak you know she died just before Christmas so I was able to help her get Christmas presents and all of these practical things so that when she did pass away it was almost like the next stage about okay I need to do this now um I I would say that my siblings a lot of them you know they had the feelings of guilt you know did I do enough did she know that I loved her and and all of these feelings but for me because I spent the last three years by her side, like kicked my stepdad out of bed. And that's where I slept from for, for, since I was 16. It was, it was, I, I feel like I did the the work, if you know what I mean. Like I got to know my mom. I got to know her as a person. That's the thing when you're an adult, you know, you get to, you get to know your parents of who they are as, as individuals, you know, what their hopes and dreams were, what their favorite color is, what they love to eat. But I got to know all that stuff while I was looking after her. So when she did pass away, it was more of a feeling of like, okay, and this is what we do next. So it, it's it's a bit of a weird one, but I think that that qu- happens quite a lot with people who do care for those who who die. Yeah, and how did you find the funeral? You know, was it? Did you did you feel a bit of a release during the fun- funeral as well? I know some people say that sometimes. You know, the sort of the organising it because yeah, I was, I was speaking to someone before on the podcast about you know they organise it, they put they're all into the funeral, and then after yeah. it was a bit like well this is where I am now, you know, um, because they'd sort of dedicated so much time and focus and that had helped them in a way to sort of take some of that, that pain, you know, and and put it into that. I don't know. But I I more saw it as a celebration, you know, it was like her favorite song. She definitely wanted to be cremated. Like my mum's in ashes under the sink. You know, we're a very practical family. It's like, I I, I, I know it it may, it may sound bizarre and horrific to, to some people, but, for, for for me and my siblings, it's, you know, we will sp- spread her ashes where she wants them to be spread eventually. But until then, she's staying with me, you know, like it's it's, it's that thing of, I, I, I don't know, the funeral was definitely something that was therapeutic. We, it was it was mostly for her friends and, you know, for people to pay their respects and stuff. Um and especially like, you know, for, for her siblings too, and, and for my siblings to speak and to say what they wanted to say and, and and just, you know, grieve or start that process in the way that they wanted to. I think for me, I'm not a detached sort of person, but I'm very much a we need to get this done type of person. So when my mum died, I was like, oh, I, I have to go go to uni. I need to make sure I start my life now. And um, I, I, I think that the distractions and the organising and then sorting out arrangements and then going into education definitely helped me um, keep on a, on a track, so to speak. But I will say that in making myself so busy, in being very businesslike, it, it delayed a, a kind of wash of grief that was always going to come, but it just didn't happen in the immediate aftermath of her passing. So I think it was that last year I started to feel a bit, ugh, and then I went, I, I did get counselling and, and it, it was so crazy because I, I felt embarrassed because it was 18 years, um, it was like what 12 11 years it was 11 years after she she had had um died and I was just like oh um yeah my mum died more than a decade ago but I, I need to talk about it and I felt a bit embarrassed um but, but the counsellor was like this is more than normal like of course th- this happens so it did it made me realize that 
there isn't one way to grieve. It's not that, you know, someone dies, you cry, and then slowly you go through six or seven steps or whatever it is, and you get over it. It's very, very individual to your relationship to that person, to the way that, you know, your dynamics were in that relationship and, and who you are. I think that's part of the stigma that we're trying to break here is, you know, you grieve in your own pace, in your own time. And because it's 10 years later, it doesn't matter. Revisit counselling, speak to somebody, you know, it's okay to have these feelings. And, you know, I'm sure there are lots of people listening who are who are going through that. And because there can be that stigma around, you know, and I've been in that myself. I, I went and revisited counselling when I was 40 and, yeah. you know, and, and thought, okay, let's just see where I'm at. It's a bit like a check-in. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and, Little MOT. You look MOT and, <laughs> and so she was like, it's completely normal. It's fine. So yeah, I think it's a really great message for, for anyone listening that, um, you know, no matter what age you're at, it's okay to, to sort of still have these feelings. But um, Oh, definitely. Especially because when I was doing the film, when I was filming with Channel 4, they they told me they found a video of my mom and I was like, okay, that's fine. And then when I heard her voice, you know, it's little triggers that you, I didn't realise how emotional that was going to make me feel, but it had been so long since her voicemail was disconnected so I couldn't ring that anymore and then when I heard her voice on the tape I just thought oh no 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 this is what the this is the what grief feels like this is the the loss that I haven't had this in such a long time how did that make you feel I felt embarrassed again because I thought well you you know it's 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 over it's finished but no that's not the case it isn't it isn't, you know, a, a, a one size fits all in terms of getting this box of grief and then get out when you're ready. It, 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 and it isn't a destination either. It's just learning to to adapt. And I think it's so it's so mad. Maybe because I lost my mum when I was so young, but um, it's 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 different all the time. Sometimes I'm completely fine. I mean, I, I speak about it quite casually because it's just what happened, and I, and I'm quite open and I'm quite just conversational in general. But when it does hit me, it will be a random thing. Like I'll see a trifle in Morrison's and she used to like them. And then I'll end up crying into the, into the dessert aisle and everyone looks at me and I think, well, this is just it. This is just what happens. And, you know, it is about the journey to, to de- developing it and to, to growing around it as opposed to getting over it. I think. Yeah. My kids were always really good at sort of just chucking something in there and it's like, Oh my God, I did that with grandpa as we call him, you know, <laughs> and that triggers me. I'm like, oh, you know, what's wrong? Nothing. Um, I'm 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 all right I'm good (laughs) my lips not quivering I just want to take you back to a really interesting comment and and something that I was wanting to ask you actually was um about you being 19 you're going off to university you know and and I know through watching I think it was an interview the other day that you did how hard you you worked at uni was it four years you were there yeah yeah and how you know and, and I always say that you know the bereaved tend to have this kind of this inner strength this power to sort of drive them forward whether it's for you're doing it for the loved one that's died or or doing it for yourself but you know now you're you're in a you know you're in a successful position or a position that you wanted to get to and you achieved it which I think is the more important message um how how did you get there you know was that did you harness you know did was it a matter of like you said earlier just getting on with things and just working hard or did you feel, do you, you know, do you feel the love from your, your mum there with you? Oh, c- completely. Like, I, and I, I'm, I don't even believe in like all of the, the spiritual type of stuff necessarily. But I do, I do, I know that there is a certain strength and resilience that she had that is passed on to me. And I feel 
that when when I when I don't feel like I can do something, when I'm not sure of something, it is definitely the driving force that keeps me going even past the point of doubt. Because for me, I, I didn't get to tell my mum what I wanted to do for a living because I, just, I didn't know at the time what I wanted to do. I didn't. My mum never got to hear me on the radio. She didn't get to see me on TV. So all of these things that I've ex- that I've achieved things that I've really put my mind to and like outside of education, like real life in my purpose, what I want to do for the rest of my life. I didn't get to tell her face to face, like this is my plan. She didn't get to, you know, like I'm in a position now where she would really, really be able to live good and retire and enjoy herself based off of the hard work. And the fact that I didn't get to have these conversations or to do her proud while she was here doesn't mean that I haven't done her proud and that's something that is always in the back of my mind um I actually think about it really often especially my mum was she she was glad that I was going to uni she was happy that I'm academically quite you know intelligent but for her she was she always told me like do what what it is that you want to do don't wake up because you have to wake up because you're gonna miss miss the the bus do try and find something that doesn't feel like work and I think that was definitely ingrained in me because part of me feels like if my mum was like, I want you to be a lawyer, you know, this conversation between you and I may not even be happening because I'd probably go down down that route because that's how much it's influenced me. And I and I like I even have I've got loads of tattoos, but I've got a, a tattoo that my mum used to always say that I should feel the rain on, on my skin. And I know it's a Natasha Bedderville lyric, but she said it first. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah, I know you're singing it in your head, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But she, you, she said that to me because on the day that she got diagnosed with cancer, she left the hospital and it started raining and everyone was running trying to find umbrellas, using newspapers to cover themselves. And she told me that she doesn't even know how long she's going to get to experience this weather for. She doesn't know how long she's going to feel this alive with the rain hitting her. And there's nothing that a man-made thing that can stop the elements from touching her and she needs me to feel alive like that all the time so certain conversations that we had have stuck with me and will stick with me for as long as I have a memory and that's definitely what keeps me going like my mum was such a fighter and she did her utmost to give us absolutely everything so I want to I want to do do that proud as well I think it just I think there is definitely a certain level of gusto that is that is ingrained within you when you when when you are bereaved especially if you're young yeah definitely and I think that was part of the ethos around starting this podcast was you know grief is my superpower like what is it what is it inside of you that keeps you going and and I there was a a grief festival that I was part of the other day and there is such a thing um and sounds like a barrel of laughs laughs. we're all chuckling away and um (laughs) but yeah someone was like why did you call your podcast grief is my superpower and I was like well because the bereaved find this harness this superpower to move forward and succeed and all of that stuff but I just want to move on to some questions from the children at Winston's Wish Children's Bereavement Charity that this podcast is in support of and they would like to know how do you make yourself feel happy when you're feeling sad wow okay um how do I well do you know what it's it's keeping on keeping on I would say I think as human beings, you have to allow yourself time to feel the way that you feel. Um, I think there's so much pressure on everybody, but especially young people, to be picture perfect, to always be happy, to feel fulfilled, to, you know, look on the bright side of everything. But 
your brain doesn't always work like that and that's okay. And I think it being okay to not be okay is something that is really important and allowing yourself a little bit of time, being patient with yourself and speaking to yourself as though you are your best friend. Because I think that a lot of the time we beat ourselves up for feeling low and and we're really harsh. Our brains say the most awful things to us. But if your friend said that to you, you wouldn't be their friend anymore. So you should speak to yourself the way that your friend would and your friend would allow you time to feel how you're feeling. Of course, you can, you know, you can work out, you can read a book, you can listen to music, you can dance. I think it's equally as important to allow yourself time to feel the way that you're feeling. I think that that's something that people don't often think of that. They don't often realize that grief, feeling low, feeling how whatever a negative emotion is a symptom of the human condition. And it's just as normal and just as happens just as often as being happy does. Yeah, I love that. The next one is what piece of music reminds you of your mum? Oh, (laughs) Shaggy, it wasn't me, the song. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Simply because uh, she used to put on like reggae, like dancehall music every Sunday at about 7am and blast it through the house. And it was Sunday morning cleaning music. The second you heard that, that music, you need to get up and grab a broom because we <laughs> are, we're washing windows. We're doing washing. We are sweeping. We are changing bed covers. It's Sunday morning cleaning music. And Shaggy, it wasn't me. Was It was a definite favorite in the, the bikini household. Okay. Next one. What do you do to remember your mum on important days across the year? Well, her her anniversary of her passing is coming up. It's on the 18th of November. And I just, you know, take a moment and have a conversation with her sometimes. Uh, we're, we're very good in my house at kind of, or in my, within my family at communicating and, and speaking to each other. Uh, at Christmas, we, we have a toast to my mum. We keep some of the little traditions that she used to do. We used to do a song around the table, uh, the 12 days of Christmas, but everyone picks their own thing. So we... um. We, we, we continue that tradition and, and her one's a clean house. So um, we also, you know, I, I continue small things like making sure that I open my curtains every day and just small things in the day that um, I know that my mum did, like small habits that she had. I still have like a few of her clothes and stuff that I'll wear if, if I'm feeling like a little bit low or if I miss her particularly in one day. Keeping in contact with her side of the family as well is really important. But small traditions and speaking to people who knew her is um is really is really helpful because you know they they have the the same memories that that I do if not more. Yeah, no, they're amazing. Especially the if you, if you're fortunate to have something of theirs that they wore. I've got yeah. my dad's wax jacket, you know, that I put on the other day, and um, <laughs> yeah, that, but it's got a bit of a rip in the back. But I'm just like, it still smells the same. It's incredible. Yeah, I love that. I lo- I've got a couple of uh, oversized shirts. Yeah, and I wear them sometimes, and even people are like, where'd you get that from? And I'm like, oh, it's my mum's. Okay, the next one is what three things are you most thankful for at the moment? I am most thankful for my family. I think that that's the that would come you know, first in anything. It's the, if I ever win anything, I think my my siblings are are the reason that I I am able to get up and function and and be who I am. Uh, I am also grateful for the ability to move and to just move my body and be free and express myself. I think during 2020, during lockdown, 
it's it, it's really important that we realize that the privileges, however small they may seem to us, the privileges that we have and, and the fact that I'm able to get up every day. I wake up at 4.45 in the morning and I get up, I spring out of bed, I'm able to run around and do what I need to do without a care in the world. And I think the third thing that I'm grateful for is just the people who take time to listen to me, whether it is on the radio, whether it's, you know, on this podcast or, you know, a TV show, anything that I do, Instagram, Twitter, like just the the people who I interact with, who don't know me, who take time out of their day to share what they're up to, their thoughts, their feelings. I think that it's, um that's something really special. And it does, it makes me feel like what I do isn't, isn't just laugh at Stormzy's shoes all the time. <laughs> I know that exercise is a big thing for you. You know, your yeah. Instagram is incredible. You are pretty active yourself. I mean, very. <laughs> you're inspiring lots of people out there, I'm sure. But um, yeah, wow, you're up early. That's oh that yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, I'm up b- before the cockerel boy. Honestly, but luckily, I I am I'm extremely extremely lucky and blessed to be able to do something that is is my dream every day which is bizarre to say it doesn't feel like I have a job um so it's getting up is a little bit tough but you know getting to go and work with like Shana and and do the show is 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 a dream okay one thing that I always end on and it can be a difficult one but if you had one final sit down conversation with your mum what do you think you might like to say to her I I think I'd say thank you yeah, I think I'd, I'd thank her. I'd, I don't I don't think I'd spend the time speaking about what I've done since she passed away because she probably already knows. So I think that I would just like to tell her that she's loved and let her know that she was never forgotten and she would never be forgotten. And, and I think I would just want to express how grateful I am, especially now being an adult, being able to look back and seeing that we didn't have much growing up and seeing that she really put absolutely everything into being a mother and being the best mother. And the fact that, you know, people who I haven't seen for 20, 25 years remember who she is and they her legacy of love has lived on long after she passed away. I'd just like her to know that she was an absolute legend and I am so thankful and grateful that I was the random egg that sprouted and I got to be her daughter. I think that's beautiful about the legacy. I think that's what we would all love to do and we are trying to do with the loved ones that are no longer here is just continue a legacy by talking about them, um, remembering them, however we see fit. Um, but Yinka, I just want to say a massive thank you for speaking with me today, sharing your story with the listeners. Um, yeah, thank you. This was such a nice chat. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. 